thankful for our children's ministry, all the work that goes into that. That's an important ministry of the church, is it not? Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6 once again this morning. Romans chapter number 6. As we make our way through the book of Romans, we're going at a snail's pace, if you will. There's just so much in that book to really pack into um, morning worship. It's, it's, It's hard. But we will continue to move forward, Lord willing. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> you know, the Bible teaches that sin is bad. Would you guys agree with that? The Bible teaches that sin is bad. The Bible says that sin is a defilement of a man's flesh and spirit, as it states in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Also, the mind, Titus chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says that sin is an impure thing. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 22 states that. Compared to the venom of of a poisonous snake in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 33, the Bible says that sin dominates the mind. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and Lord willing, we'll get there in our study of Romans. It also states the Affections found in John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, as well as found in Jeremiah chapter 20, or 44, I'm sorry. The Bible says while sin promises satisfaction, it instead brings misery. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. Worst of all, sin damns the unredeemed soul to hell and destroys the believer's fellowship with God, as it states in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, as well as 1 John chapter number 1. Folks, sin is bad. Sin is bad. And worse than that, the Bible says that each man, woman, and child is a sinner. Romans chapter 3. But... The glorious gospel message of Jesus Christ in Paul's letter to the Romans is that while we were still sinners, right? What happened? Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Amen? Romans 5 says that we are now reconciled to God through His blood. Jesus Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Nine. He has saved us by going to the cross. The penalty was paid because of what Jesus Christ did. For those who are justified by faith, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, our old man is crucified with him, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Rather, we are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, verse 11. At the conclusion of our study last week, I closed with a few questions. I asked you these two questions. Are you alive in Christ? And that's justification. And then the second question I asked you before we closed is, are you living for Christ? And that's the sanctification there. While the first question is, is it really a matter of position? The second question is a matter of practice. It's a matter of practice. 
And I explained that the, the, really the circumstances that, that really gather around those two areas are important in a believer's life. They are. And this morning I ask another question. Are you a servant of sin or are you a servant of the Savior? Our text this morning, we find ourselves in Romans chapter number 6, as I mentioned earlier, looking at verses 15 through 23. But before we go any further, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we humbly come before you this morning and we are thankful for the opportunity we have to gather together corporately to raise our voices to the one who is worthy of all of our worship and to sit down and to get into your word. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts this morning. Lord, you would open our eyes. Father, I pray that you would take away any distraction that may be before us so that we can really zone in on what you have for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that your, your, your word never fails. Father, we thank you that your love is unmeasurable. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Father, I pray maybe there is someone that has come to this service this morning that has never come to the Savior. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call out to you for the forgiveness of their sins, and they would accept you as their Savior. Father, again, we thank you for our time together. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we start this morning, point number one, this morning as we get started, uh, we see that Paul... Uh, there's people that are always pushing against Paul, right? That's not point number one, but I'll get to point number one. Uh, we see that, he, that he's got antagonists that are always questioning what he's teaching. They're always kind of pushing back. They want to know why he's saying what he's saying and, and why he does what he does. But point number one is that those antagonists have objections. And we've seen that for multiple times throughout the book of Romans that we've been studying uh, so far. But we see that they, they push back. Romans chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul, Paul what he does here is he, he really beats his critics to the punch by anticipating their, their objection once again. Because in verse 14, Paul stated that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. The antagonists would object, accusing Paul of teaching that we are free from all moral restraint. Rather, after all, since we are not under the law, but now we are under grace, chapter 6, verse 14, we might do as we please. And the accusation from the antagonists here is that Paul was teaching a, a really a libertinism, a license for all of us to do what we want. Our human logic and reasoning always drives us to extremes. If one mentions law, well, he must be a legalist, right? If one mentions liberty, well, that one was, must be a libertine. But being governed by the Spirit of God, Paul avoided both of those extremes. In Romans chapter 3, Paul refuted the idea that works of the law could save. Remember that? Paul dismantled any notion of legalism. Now in Romans 6, Paul refutes the idea that really grace gives us liberty to practice sin. 
If you look back at chapter 6 and verse 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? May, may it not be so. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Look at verse 15. It says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? What does he say again there? By no means. You see, when the antagonist objects that Paul is dismissing the law or the libertinism, Paul says, certainly not. By no means. Point number two this morning is the answer overrules. The answer overrules. Paul answer in verse 15, certainly not, is the very same answer in verse 2 that we just saw. No. No, a thousand times no, may it never be. Again, some of the modern translations render it by no means. The mere suggestion that God's grace is a license for sin is really self-contradictory. It is a logical and theological absurdity for the very promise, the very, the very promise of God's grace in my life is not to allow me to further sin, but to free me from sin. It's not a license to continue in it. And see, folks, this is the very practical issue for us today. Because the issues and the implications of this very text before us are the issues that we fight about. Some are prone to defend the law under the banner of holiness. Others are prone to push the envelope of, of liberty under the banner of grace and freedom. And in both cases, for the legalist and for the libertine, there is an absolute, there is a, there's an apparent um, satisfactory there to the flesh. That's what they're trying to do. It's the end game. Now, hear me on this. Self-righteousness on one hand makes one feel pretty good about themselves, how they live. You see, I, I live a holy lifestyle, some will say. I don't watch the bad movies. I don't listen to the wrong music. Make sure my hair's all cut nice. Make sure that I, I, I dress nice and appropriately. I feel pretty good about myself. Now, on the other hand, personal pleasure makes one feel good about their living as well. I have liberty and freedom to do what I want to do. I don't have to worry about it because my recreation or my entertainment or my lifestyle choices are all under the blood. It's covered by God's grace. And I feel good about that as, as well. I'm not, sure, I'm not so sure what is the greater error here. So in Romans chapter 3, Paul, what he does is he tears apart, he dismantles the law as a means of salvation or sanctification. And now in Romans chapter 6, Paul makes it very clear that although we are under grace and not law, that does not give us license, catch that, it doesn't give us license to live as we please. Number three, the argument is obvious. At least it's obvious in Paul's mind. Verse 16, it says, Do you not know? 
Do you not know? And, and we see these rhetorical questions here with Paul all throughout the book of Romans. And he, here's another one. Do you not know? It's a rhetorical question implying that this truth ought to be obvious to the readers and to the hearers of this letter. In the very same phrase he is used in chapter 6 and verse 3. We could say in the UP vernacular, don't you know? Right? And to Paul, this self-evident universal truth ought to be common knowledge and well understood. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? The argument is obvious. Whoever or whatever we obey, we render ourselves slaves to that one in our obedience. Listen to what a, a fifth century theologian says here about his own slavery to sin. He says, this is what he writes. He said, I will now call, I will now call to mind past foulness and the carnal corruptions of my soul. I was torn piecemeal while turned from you, the one God. I lost myself among abundance of things, for I even burned in my youth to be filled in things below. With these various and shadowy loves, my beauty consumed away, and I start to talk away from you. I start to turn away from your eyes. I was grown deaf by, by cankling of the chain of my morality, the punishment of the pride of my soul, and I strayed further from you, and you let me alone, and I was tossed about and wasted, and you held your peace, and I wandered further and further from you into more and more fruitless seed plots of sorrow with a proud dejectedness and restless weariness. And folks, I think here, this theologian, this guy that penned this, he understood his bondage in sin. He got it. And if we only understood the gravity of our sin in the same way he did. Folks, sin is like a Lay's potato chip. Remember the old uh, slogan they used to have, right? What was it? You, can only, you can't eat just one, right? You can't eat just one. You can't sample it. You just can't just take one and, and, and pass the bag along. How many of you have ever tried to do that, right? Oh, give me that bag. I'll just have one. And it doesn't work that way, right? You just can't sample it just one time because it's never enough. And we indulge and then we become enslaved. And sin give us, gives us the appetite for possessions, for power, for pleasure, for position, and you name it, and we become consumed and chained to a slave of sin. But if you remember from our study a few weeks ago, we learned that in Christ we have died to sin. We should no longer be slaves to sin. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, and we have now been raised to walk in the newness of life. I'm reminded of the story here of a woman who stepped out her, her front door 
to see her dog chewing on the neighbor's rabbit. She quickly grabbed the broom and, and beat the dog until the dog dropped the rabbit. And at this point, of course, the rabbit was very, very much dead. The woman having trouble with her neighbor knew that this would create even more problems. So what she did is she scooped up the dead rabbit with a broom, brought the rabbit into her bathroom, placed it in the bathtub where she turned on the water, right? Sprayed off that dirty rabbit, flipped it over, sprayed off the other side, got it out of the tub, decided to put the hairdryer on it, got her brush, kind of fluffed it a little bit, as much as possible. With the rabbit balanced now on the end of the broom, she began to take the rabbit back to the neighbor's yard and place the rabbit back into the cage, propping it up in the corner ever so gently to make sure it didn't fall over as she rushed back to her home. A few hours later, she heard an awful scream from the neighbor. Well, she rushed out to see what was going on, of course, and uh, so sorry to hear that the rabbit has, has died, she said. What's wrong? She said, well, here's the issue, she said. My rabbit died last week, and we buried it, and now it's back in the cage. <laughs> you see, last week we learned the obvious argument of our position. We were dead in sin. And then we died with Jesus Christ, but had been raised and unlike the rabbit, that silly story, we are not just fluffed and propped up in a cage. But folks, we have been raised to life with Jesus Christ. And last week, the argument was one of, of position. And this week, Paul's argument is one of, of practice. If we obey sin, we are enslaved. If we obey the Savior, we become slaves of righteousness. And see, we must live like we are alive. We must look like we are alive because if we have been crucified with Christ and raised to new life with Him, you are alive. You are alive. And folks, it's our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ to live like it. Look back at verse 11 in our text, Romans 6, starting in verse 11. And we'll go to 14. It says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because of your position. Verse number 12, Now let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. See, when we choose to sin, we do not experience freedom, but slavery to sin. 
For according to Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 23, we do not have the choice of freedom or slavery. We only have the choice of two masters, sin or the Savior. And Paul uses this analogy to help us here. Point number four is the analogy of obedience. Who will you choose to obey? Verse 16 through 18. Look at our text, starting in verse 16. It says, do you not know? There we go, the rhetorical question. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, and that's the option. The other option is of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart of the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The analogy here of obedience. It is either obedience to sin or obedience to the Savior. Now notice in verse 17, if you're looking at the text, Paul doesn't praise them for their wisdom or their intelligence or their moral determination or their astute Bible knowledge. It's none of that. He thanks God for their obedience. He thanks them for their obedience. After all, it is God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also notice in verse 17, Paul describes their conversion experience as well. Not as being, that's, that's language that we most use. Uh, you know, we say believing. That's the language that, that we use the most as we, as we talk about that conversion experience. But what he does, he, he talks about it in terms of obedience. He talks about it in terms of obedience. Not as believing in their heart, the doctrine, but obeying the doctrine. You see, there is a link between Christian obedience and faith. And in fact, back in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience, there it is, the obedience of faith. And you see, folks, at the very heart and at the very center of a true believer is the mark of obedience. That is a demonstration of true faith. Read Romans chapter 11 or James chapter 2. We have died to sin. We are alive in Jesus Christ. Our new man is to be obedient now, a slave of righteousness. Romans chapter 6 and verse 18. We are to be obedient I'm amazed, and I say this a lot, I'm amazed at how many lessons I learn through the eyes now of a parent. As I'm trying to raise these, by the grace of God, trying to raise, my wife and I, raising these two little girls, we're constantly talking about obedience. Parents, can I get an amen? Um, you know, that is a, a word that we use all the time in our home. And um, as I raise these 
little girl, my wife and I, of course, I say me, but my, my wife is really the one that behind it all. But as we raise these little girls, um, and as we use that word quite often, I can't help but think the Lord saying, how many times am I asking you to obey? How many times, I'm going to ask you again, are you going to obey? It's the same way I talk to my daughters, right? Look, I've, we've already discussed this, and um, just like three seconds ago, and you didn't obey, so we got to talk about it again. But through that, what, what really happens is I see that God is faithful. God is faithful. He doesn't say, I told you 800 times already. He's faithful. Unlike parents that say, I just told you a second ago. He disobeyed. But the question is, at the end of the day, who are we obeying? Who are we slaves to? Who are we working for? We're a slave to something. At the end of the day, we are all a slave to something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to be a slave to righteousness. Amen? You were bought with a price. Therefore, what does it say? Glorify, right? Glorify the Lord. We're a slave to something. A slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, the opportunity to look into your word to read your truths in your word, not only to read it, but Lord, the opportunity to apply it in our lives. And Father, I, I ask that you would help us to do so. Father, I ask that you would help us to obey. Father, so often we, our human nature comes up with questions on why we should obey, or maybe question what the Lord is asking us to do. Our job is to obey. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. Father, I pray that you would give us gospel opportunities in the days ahead, and Lord, that we would obey, and Lord, that we would share the gospel, that we'd love others, or that we would edify one another. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his love for us. And just to see his obedience. The fact that he willingly went to the cross. He didn't have to, but he did. He went to that cross to pay a penalty that no one can repay. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We all have sinned and come short, fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also tells us that the wages of, of sin is death. Jesus Christ came to pay that penalty. He's a perfect, spotless lamb. We thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And Father, I pray that 
Maybe there is someone here this morning that doesn't have that personal relationship with you. They would call out to you today as they hear about Jesus Christ and what He has done for them. Not only did He take away the sins of the world, He raised from the dead. The Bible tells us about His death, burial, and resurrection. It's the gospel. We thank You so much for that. Lord, again, we thank you for our time together this morning. We pray that you'd be glorified as we go throughout the rest of our day. Pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.